Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, last week I shared a message out of Revelation chapter 2. In particular, uh, Jesus' warning to the church in Ephesus. And I I just want to refresh our memory there because this is going to serve as a segue to where we're going. But in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 22, these are the words of Jesus. And he had just got done giving the Ephesian church a big thumbs up saying, hey, you guys are doing a great job in all of these areas. But then he says in verse 4, none of that matters. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember therefore... Therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And so in speaking of first works, in speaking of redoing the things that we did at first, I made this statement uh, regarding that it's, it's fairly simple to stay in love with Jesus. It requires consistently doing a few things, these first things. And uh, I kind of uh, talked about the secret sauce that isn't so secret of staying in love with Jesus. And so I talked about Bible reading and prayer and fellowship as being kind of uh, the core stuff that makes up a follower of Jesus. Things that I know is revolutionary. It kind of blows your mind that you just heard a pastor tell you that if you really want to follow Jesus, there are some simple things you can do to do it well or do it better, and that's to read your Bible, to pray, and uh, actually fellowship with other believers. Sounds a little revolutionary, does it not? I'm writing a book. It's going to, never mind, it was a bad joke. But I do love this. Uh, So I love after I preach a sermon to go on Facebook and kind of see sometimes some of y'all post like snippets or, or quotes of things that I said. Uh, and, and most of the time it's like, oh, Pastor Nate said this thing. And is it heresy? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but Janelle always has these great kind of rephrasings of uh, what I post or what I say. And she posts them on the internet. And she just has a way with words that is so much better than me. So I invited her to write my sermons for me. She did not respond, but this is how she rephrased what I said last week when I talked about uh, the importance of reading the Bible, importance of praying and fellowshipping, and uh, she said, we need to pray, we need to read, and we need to fellowship. He hears you, you hear him, and we hear others. I was like, wow, that is like so catchy. That could be like an Andy Stanley sermon right there. (laughs) Boom. Boom. But uh, I just uh, I wanted to kind of revisit that because we're going to jump into a series of teachings on these practices, not just those three, but we're going to talk about something called spiritual disciplines. Now, please don't check out here. Don't be like, that doesn't sound fun. Remove me from that conversation. Uh, I'm really excited to take the next few weeks here Uh, As we go through the scriptures, we're going to outline clear biblical support for each one of these disciplines as if, you know, I I don't really know that uh, if anybody would argue that, you know, it doesn't tell us to pray in the Bible or it doesn't tell us to study scripture in the Bible. It it does, but we're going to look at the scriptures uh, for evidence of these. And uh, um, I'm really just, I'm really excited to unpack these, what they are, what purpose do they serve (laughs) and really how to implement them in our somewhat chaotic lives. And uh, I think there's nobody here that would argue and say, you know what, I don't think we should read the Bible more. In fact, Adam had a a great announcement for Deeper Project uh, last week when he said, "Uh, I want you to think about what you do on Tuesday nights and how it's not more important than reading the Bible. And lo and behold, our attendance to studying the Bible at Deeper Project like doubled because you just laid on that pastor guilt trip. Guilt, yeah. Um, but I, I know, so I, had, I was kind of uh, giving Chelsea a little like foretaste of what we were going to talk about in our, our next sermon series. And she's like, yeah, all those things are really good. And I struggle with doing them consistently. 
And uh, I'm sorry, just to put you on blast like that. <laughs> but I want to use it as an example because I don't think there's anyone here that wouldn't say, I want to pray more. I want to be able to read the Bible more. I want to fast more. I want to look more like Jesus. That's the reason why you're here. If you don't want to be more like Jesus, this is probably not the church for you. At least I hope that's, that's our goal as an organization. That's our goal for gathering is that at the end of this, that we are looking more like Jesus than when we started. Does that make sense? We may not reach perfection, but we're going to strive for it because that's Jesus. And we want to emulate him in everything that we say, everything that we do, because he calls us to be like him. Amen. And so I don't think there's anybody here today, given the opportunity, uh, if I had like a magic button or magic light switch, whatever, and I said, all you have to do to get ridiculously in shape, like to make all the right decisions in eating healthy, all the right decisions in the perfect workout routine, and there was just like an instant bus button of self-discipline, uh, I think most of us would press that. Because it's not a matter of me like sitting here in the moment saying, you know what, I just don't want to be healthy. It's a matter of, it's not that I don't want to be healthy, I just really want to eat this Krispy Kreme donut. Right? It's not that I don't want to be healthy, it's just I don't want to go to the gym. And I think for most of us, we would say, yes, we want to look more like Jesus, but there's a disconnect from us saying we want to look more like Jesus and wanting to fast and pray and study the scriptures intently, right? And so if I could offer you a button, by the way, that doesn't exist physically or spiritually, uh, just, just want to be clear there we would all probably take the chance to press it, right? And say, yes, I want those decisions to be made for me, but it doesn't happen. And the disconnect there is discipline, right? I want you to, I want you to track with me here for a moment. No one winds up accidentally running a marathon, right? In the same way, you don't accidentally show up to the gym and just bench press, bench press like 350 pounds just one day. If you do, you're a freak of nature. But like, th that, that doesn't happen. People train intentionally to do these things. And I want, I want to be clear here, you don't accidentally just wind up following Jesus for the long haul. Sure, there are people that have wound up in a church service and maybe they, they, they prayed a sinner's prayer and they answered an altar call not knowing what they were signing up for. But I'm telling you, the way that you finish this race and you stay in love with Jesus for the long haul. And 50, 60 years from now, you're still on fire for the Lord and you're still loving him with everything you have inside of you. It doesn't happen because you accidentally are just still there. It requires intentional thought processes, intentional steps, and I believe it requires an intentional giving of ourselves to these practices of spiritual disciplines of staying in the word, of having a prayer life, of fellowshipping with other believers, of meditating on the scriptures, of drawing away with God in solitude and in silence. There, there are a, a plethora of things that we're going to talk about that are beneficial for us when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. You see, most people want to feel healthy, to look healthy, I know I want that like just crazy bod that like people are like, man, that guy's ripped. It's a joke. <laughs> Laugh. <laughs> but there's a separating factor from wanting to be healthy and actually being healthy, and that is discipline. So we all have that one friend, though, um, that is just like blessed with a supernatural metabolism you know, that can eat whatever they want, can not work out a day in their life, and somehow they're just still in incredible shape. I'm going to pick on my friend Joey because I know this guy just eats whatever. And <laughs> whenever, I talked to, I asked him if I could use him as an example because he's admitted this himself. Uh, and you just have a blessed metabolism, right? And people keep telling you it's going to catch up with you, and it hasn't. And so... <laughs> Maybe, maybe tomorrow's the day. <laughs> but then we have other people that 
like, like we look at food and gain weight. I, I can't use that excuse. Uh, I would like to. I'm just lazy. But <laughs> I just I, I want to be clear that there isn't like a spiritual equivalent of that blessed metabolism. Like there aren't people that are somehow so more naturally gifted with just the way that God made them that it's easier for them to stay following Jesus for the long haul. That somehow they were more spiritually or supernatural blessed that they don't need to put in the same amount of effort day in and day out to stay in love with Jesus. That isn't how it works. And if you have fallen into this mentality that you don't need to put in into your relationship with God, you're going to find it lacking and struggling. And you're not going to find yourself at the end of this age standing before an almighty God where he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not a, it's not a roller coaster ride that we just kind of sign up for and we get our ticket and we go. There is real expectation of us as followers of Jesus to live like him, to emulate him, to, to mirror his life. And that's what he invites us into. 1 Timothy 4 verses 7 through 8 says this. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, this is where if you're going to underline something, underline this. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Some of you are breathing a sigh of relief right now that Paul said, you know, hey, you know what, being physically fit is only of a little profit to us. <laughs> I feel relief when I read those words, but we see here that there is a call, there is an instruction from God to, to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I think some of us fall into this mentality where we want God to do all the work for us. We want God to discipline us and make us into robots that somehow are just really good at serving him. But here we see the instruction from Paul is that we, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, would discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So that begs the question, what are spiritual disciplines? What are their purpose? And so I could give you a list, and uh, we're going to actually uh, develop one. I have one that is like, if you start Googling spiritual disciplines, there's like 40 million out there, and everybody's got a different way of saying the same thing. And so I've been actively working on just a concise list that is probably not exhaustive, but is something that is just helpful for us. Um, and so I'm not going to give that to you in this sermon today, but we're talking about practices that would help us follow Jesus. Things like prayer, things like fasting, things like giving generously, these things that Jesus did and instructed us to do that will help our relationship with God. I wrote it this way, that they are simple practices that if implemented consistently will cause our spiritual lives to flourish. Because I, I, I don't know about you, but I hear this all the time from people that they just feel like God is far away. They feel like they're disconnected. They feel like their relationship with God might be struggling. In fact, we have songs written about it that we just want to be close to Jesus. We want to grow closer to Jesus. So how do we do that? We take practical steps. And I think this is where there's a disconnect because we want everything to be so spiritual sometimes that we neglect the practical reality of doing something consistently day in and day out. We want God to make things magically appear in order for it to be real for us or for it to, to have meaning for us when sometimes we just have to get in and put in the work and do something in order to see results. And so... That the heart behind this sermon series, the heart behind this teaching isn't just to tell you, man, you guys suck at reading your Bible, read your Bible more. You guys are really bad at praying, you need to read your Bible more. No, it comes from a place where we want to grow closer to God, closer to Jesus, 
And we want to be more like Christ. The promise in James 4, 8 is this, that if we are to draw near to God, he will be faithful to draw near to you. Gives us instructions to cleanse our hands and to purify our hearts. But the truth is that if we are wanting to draw near to God, the best avenue to do that is is this uh, idea of a spiritual discipline of the practical implementation of these things that Jesus did consistently on a daily basis. That's what we're invited into, and I want to help us give some practicals into how do we follow Jesus closely? How do we take these steps to draw near to God that in turn he would draw near to us? But unlike being physically disciplined where the majority of the results are on us, right? Uh, I have to take responsibility for this. (laughs) I don't, uh, when when I'm winded and I can't make the play in Ultimate Frisbee, I have to take that responsibility. I don't have somebody else to blame that on. And I think realistically, uh, for our own spiritual health, our spiritual condition, we need to take some ownership of where we are with our relationship with God. It's very easy to say, you know what, my pastor doesn't teach on this, or this church doesn't do this, or maybe you have a long list of reasons on why your relationship with the Lord doesn't look like you know it should look like. At the end of the day, there needs to be a sense of ownership. But get this, this is cool. Because while I may have to take responsibility for my physical health, you know, and and, and and my physical training, and my physical discipline, there is something unique and special about our spiritual lives, is that yes, there does require some ownership. Yes, there requires your intentionality in it, but you're not left to your own devices to do it by yourself. We have the promise of a helper. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit that will come and initiate desire and actually enable you to see it through. Romans 8.26 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It isn't this invitation. It isn't this, 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 uh, this kind of command from the Lord to just say, hey, white knuckle it and pray more, you loser. It isn't this, it isn't this invitation for, uh, from the Lord that just says, hey, why don't you fast for 40 days like I did? It is this invitation to, yes, implement these disciplines, but it's with the promise of a helper, of an empowerer that would come alongside, encourage, and equip us to actually be disciplined in these areas of our life. Because can I give you a secret? Nate Ward is really bad at being disciplined spiritually. I'm really bad at praying consistently. I, in myself, am really bad and uninterested in the Bible outside of the Holy Spirit. But I'm thankful that he comes and he he helps and he, it didn't start that way. I didn't start just being really good at reading the Bible. I didn't start in just being in love with prayer and wanting to do it every waking moment. And I still have yet to meet somebody that is just like naturally like, man, I love to fast and just fast all day, all, all the time. These things happen they're cultivated in the way, same way that there are like weird people out there that like running. If that's one of you, I would, we can pray. We believe in deliverance. I'm kidding. <laughs> but there are these people that I have met. I've had genuine conversations with them that like just enjoy working out. Like, like they're addicted to it. They like working out for the sake of working out. It's not even like they're trying to like get to a certain goal and like have like massive muscles or anything. No, they like going to the gym because they like going to the gym. It's beyond me. But I believe that that comes from consistently going to the gym. That doesn't happen just being the overweight, middle-aged guy that just shows up to the gym one time and has a miserable experience and never tries it again. Yet that is so often what happens with Christians when it comes to spiritual disciplines. I have people that have literally told me, I'm not going to read the Bible anymore 
because I just don't understand it and it's too complex. And so they give it a shot and they, they, and they tell me, you know, I just wasn't very good at doing it consistently. So I, I listen to a podcast here and there, but, you know, actually reading the Bible is just not, not for me. I'm not gifted there. Or they'll tell me something along the lines of, uh, you know what, I, I, I went to a prayer meeting and it was just not for me. Or I've tried to do uh, prayer in the morning or prayer in the evening, and I've tried to do the quiet time thing or the journal thing or, or the meditating on scripture thing, and it just isn't for me. And the reality of it is, none of those things are natural to the human body or natural to uh, the human nature, if you will. It comes from a place of being disciplined in these areas that eventually, at some point, they do transition into a delight. Can I tell you that there are times where I didn't feel like praying, but I knew that if I was disciplined in the area of prayer, it would help cultivate a passion to where it was no longer an obligatory thing. It was something that I eagerly look forward to. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how that works and break it down in just a moment. But uh, I think it's important to note here um, that spiritual disciplines, they are a means to an end. They're not the end in and of themselves. Prayer, fasting, Bible study, they're not the main goal. The end game for us, if you will. The, the ultimate mark, the desire for us, the goal that we're headed to is what we read in 1 Timothy 4.7, that we would discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The spiritual disciplines are tools to help us on our journey to grow closer in fellowship with Jesus. And the ultimate end goal is that we would be holy like he is holy. That we would be godly that we would have a sense of godliness about us because there are plenty of other world religions that practice prayer, right? That are better at prayer than we are at prayer <laughs> in terms of consistency, if you want to say that. There, there are other world religions that study the, their scriptures more than the average Christian does. There are, there are sects and denominations uh, that are... Uh, I don't want to go down that road. Um, there are cults <laughs> that exist uh, here in our community that study scripture, and I say that with, you know, quotes, finger quotes, better than the majority of us Christians who claim to have the word of the living God. And that should be concerning to us. That should be convicting to us. But what is different between us and them is that these practices are not the end goal, but they simply serve as a way for us to have fellowship with God. And they mold us and they shape us to look more and more and more like Jesus. Because there are plenty of people who read the Bible and are not godly. There are plenty of people who pray and are not holy. This was the great error of the Pharisees, was it not? These dudes read the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. They, they exceeded in the area of prayer to make sure everybody knew when they were praying and what they were praying for, right? They, they gave extravagantly. It was something that they promoted, but yet they were so far from the heart of God because their motivation was misplaced. And I, I want to make this warning here. When we're talking about spiritual disciplines, when we're talking about these things that we want to implement, it's not about uh, some kind of Christian credit or, or, or trying to say, you know what, well, I prayed for four hours today and you, brother, only prayed for two, so therefore I'm more holy. This isn't a holier-than-thou kind of competition or something like that. Um, because these things in and of themselves are not measurements of godliness, but properly motivated, they're helpful practices for us to grow in love with Jesus. Does that make sense? I, I want to be clear about some things as we go. 
And these spiritual disciplines, they're not spiritual gifts. And so prayer being one of the spiritual disciplines we're going to talk about, um, I've had this awkward encounter a number of times where someone will come up to me and they're trying to be encouraging, um, they're trying to, trying to connect in such a way, and they'll just say, you know what, brother, man, I'm just so encouraged by your gift of prayer. If I could pray like you, and uh, man, you just have the gift of prayer. And they use this language, and they're trying to be encouraging, you know, saying maybe my prayer encouraged them or something like that, but it's this mentality that, you know, some people are just gifted prayers, and uh, there are at least five different areas in the scriptures where there's a list of spiritual gifts that are outlined. And on each and every one of those lists, prayer is not mentioned. And so I, I believe that that isn't by mistake. It wasn't like, oh, Paul just forgot one. Uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's intentionally admitted because more than any other activity, I think, uh, prayer is the privilege and responsibility of every Christian. It's something that we're all expected and called to and something that we need to grow in because it's something that Jesus did if we want to look more like Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you, these disciplines, they're not spiritual gifts. They're things that we practice in order to look more like Jesus. And so uh, I know a lot of people, um, I already said that. I'm really bad at following my notes sometimes, guys. Thanks for being patient with me. 1 John 2.6 says this, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. That is a statement and a half there that we could spend a lot of time on. And I want this to kind of serve as a, a centering verse for us, that if we're going to claim to abide in Jesus, we're to walk as he walked. That doesn't mean like, oh, he had a funny gait and, you know, we, he was a little bow-legged, we need to walk like that. Obviously here, this is talking about doing life the way Jesus did life. John 14 um, I know that there's, it says that Jesus makes this promise to his disciples. And he says, greater things will you do than even I have done. And a lot of the times our, our minds want to jump. And I think Jesus was specifically referencing the miraculous, where we remember Jesus praying for the sick and they being healed. Uh, we see Jesus uh, operating in the miraculous and doing these marvelous, wonderful things where blind people are being healed and the dead are being raised. And there's this just, just powerful promise that Jesus makes there in John chapter 14. And he says, greater things will you do, Right? And gives this promise, and, and then he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I remember being in youth group and hearing that language a lot, greater things. Well, man, that means double the miracles, right? And, and while I think that's 100% healthy, and I actually think that was uh, what Jesus was referencing there, I think there's also the hidden parts of the Lord's life where he was in close fellowship with God, where he would withdraw into the lonely places and pray, where he was consistent in the place of fasting, where, where he would be studying the scriptures, those things that I think uh, is a beautiful promise for us to emulate as well. And so uh, we prioritize the scripture because Jesus did it. We seek solitude to meditate and pray because Jesus modeled that for us. We fast because Jesus fasts. We want to walk like he walked because we want to live like he lived. I can think of no better person to emulate than that of Jesus Christ. That is something that we should strive for, something that we should look for. And I believe it's one of the primary purposes of the church is to foster a community a place that is healthy, that encourages one another, creates an atmosphere for us to follow Jesus closely. You know, one of the largest contributors um, to decline in church attendance today, I think uh, without question, is hypocrisy. 
I know that there are plenty of people, I have friends that have stopped uh, going to church, not because they had issue necessarily with what Jesus had to say. It wasn't like some theological reason. They're fed up and they're tired of Christians not doing what they're supposed to do. I have friends that have been completely turned off to the gospel because they feel like it's fraudulent in a sense, because all the Christians that they know have failed to live out the teachings of Jesus. This is a real problem. I mean, if you see any portrayal of the church or Christianity uh, in, in media today, you'll get what I'm saying here. You'll track with me. And so, um, just, I, I, I'm thinking I'm, I'm making a blanket statement here, but there are plenty of us here in this room that somebody probably pops into our mind where we know somebody that has left the church or has stopped attending uh, on Sunday mornings because of the people that are at church, right? There's that saying, um, goes along the lines, like if you ever find a perfect church, you shouldn't go to it because then it's not going to be perfect anymore, right? There's this, this mentality that if the church has people in it, it's already not perfect <laughs> because people aren't perfect, right? I don't know. I'm probably butchering that saying and have it all messed up, but it's this idea that people aren't perfect, that the church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by the work of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. And so uh, if you'll track with me, and analogies break down eventually, so don't, don't, don't take this to the bank and be like, well, Pastor Nate said this. Uh, it's an analogy, but I want us to think of the church like a gym for just a moment. Um, it'd be really upset to, it would be really silly to be upset about going to the gym and finding unhealthy people there and leaving, right? Like if you showed up to the gym and they're like, ah, man, this fat person's on the treadmill again. Uh, I don't want to be here. <laughs> that, that'd be weird, right? That would be silly, right? We should be encouraged that there are unhealthy people trying to get healthy at the gym. In the same way, we should be encouraged that there are less than perfect people in the church of Jesus Christ, trying to strive and do their best to become more like Jesus, right? It's this mentality that the, the church is a hospital for the sick. It's not a sanctuary for the healthy, right? It is a place where we come to grow in likeness of Jesus. And so uh, really, I, I do want to kind of hang out here with this gym metaphor for just a moment. And I, I don't have a ton of experience in the gym, if you can tell. Uh, at one point in time, I paid for a year's membership to the rec center. And can anybody guess how many times I went? Zero. <laughs> I went zero times. In confession, it was during COVID and I went and bought a membership. And then they told me that I had to like register when I could come and those things. And I got frustrated and so I just didn't go. Uh, but I had this like good initial like motivation that I, I woke up one morning and was like, I don't want to be lazy and fat anymore. I'm going to go get a gym membership. And so I went and threw out a bunch of our food and Kelly was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I went to the store and bought a bunch of healthy food. And then I went across the street and I went to uh, the rec center and uh, I got a, a, a membership to the gym and then I never went. Uh, so there was, there was a strong start, but uh, poor finish there. Uh, but before I was married, and uh, when I was trying to gain the attention of a young lady, and I was gearing up to be, uh, to, to be married, um, I had a, a strong run, the strongest run I've ever had of consistency in working out and going to the gym. And it happened because of this guy on the front row, this guy named Steven. Um, <laughs> because when I, when I went to the gym, I really didn't know what I was doing. And so even in ministry school, we were required to go to the gym. But uh, if you've never worked out a day in your life and you go and you see all these weights and these machines and these pulleys, uh, it's a little intimidating for a guy like me that doesn't know what anything does. This is me being real vulnerable here. And so uh, what I would do is I would go and I would just run on the treadmill or the elliptical for like an hour and a half each day um, and wouldn't touch weights or anything like that because 
I was convinced that I was going to hurt myself. Or realistically, I was probably going to look really stupid and do them wrong. <laughs> so it was easier to just not do them. Um, but there was, there was something about having someone come alongside me and instruct me on what I was supposed to be doing and encourage and provoke me to continue on in doing that that actually saw some benefit and saw some change and saw, saw some progression. Obviously, uh, I, I hope that I am more spiritually disciplined than I am physically disciplined because uh, I have not stuck with that. But I, I want us to envision the church or the family of God like a gym in the case where people are showing up and they're trying to put in the work and they're doing their very best to try to follow Jesus well. They're doing their best to put in these practices, these spiritual disciplines. And some of us maybe aren't doing it as consistently as others, but sometimes it takes help. It takes instruction. It takes teaching and it takes encouragement from one another to keep going on. And that's what my prayer for our church would be. Um, I, I, wrote it, I wrote it this way. I believe that the church needs to be a, a place where we receive both instruction and encouragement from one another. A place of teaching and provocation. Where we learn how to follow Jesus and are challenged to continually follow Jesus by doing it together. And I believe that this is a biblical principle. I believe this is what Jesus had in mind. In fact, uh, Paul even kind of fleshes this out. We'll talk about it in just a second. But uh, I want to say this. I think there are many people that when it really comes, to, comes down to following Jesus closely, they throw in the towel when they realize something is expected of them. Because Jesus asks us to do some pretty hard things. His invitation is not just say yes to me and say the sinner's prayer and get, a, like, get this get out of hell free card. That was never his intention. That was never his motivation. His invitation was always follow me. Always come deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. It was an invitation to come and lose your life in order that you might find it. And in order to do that, there has to be some level of discipline. Uh, G.K. Chesterton says this. He says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I think that is a convicting statement. And I believe that the church fails to look like it should. It fails to look like Jesus because Christians fail to follow Jesus the way he intended us to follow him. This is crazy. I have some statistics here. And uh, these are ones that I looked up uh, just this week. Um, but the Pew Research Center did a study, and this, this study goes back to 2014. And uh, it has gone increasingly downhill since 2014. Um, but in this study that they did, the majority of self-identified Christians read their Bibles less than once a month outside of church. So that wasn't counting if they read script, if like they opened their Bibles in church, but less than one time a month, um, they were actively in the word of God. I want, I want you to take a, a moment here because we've been drawing parallels between physical health and spiritual health. What would your physique look like if you ate a meal once a month? <laughs> It would not look very good. In fact, uh, if the only time you were to receive, let, let's even do it a little better here. Let's say, what would your physique look like if you only ate one solid nutritious meal once a week on a Sunday morning? Probably would not be that healthy. Man, my man Aaron in the back was just talking to me about how he's exhausted and he's drained because he's been eating jello for the last four days. He's not been eating jello just because he's like, I don't like real food. He got his wisdom teeth removed. <laughs> but he's just telling me, man, I'm tired. I can't come play Ultimate Frisbee. I'm tired. I've got other plans. Uh, because uh, he's been eating nothing, not even real food for like four days. I can't imagine uh, what we would look like spiritually um, if we're not in 
a consistent discipline of being in the Word of God. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with where I'm going with this? But it gets worse than that. In 2022, Christianity Today, Christianity Today did another study and did another poll of American Christians um, reading their Bible <laughs> and having a, a personal time with the Word of God on a daily basis. And it says that 26 million American Christians stopped reading their Bibles during the pandemic, which is crazy. They, they, took the, they took the research here from back in 2014, then they redid the poll, and there was the sharpest decline in, in, in history in terms of when they've been keeping track of this in the year that COVID kind of shut down churches in general. And so they noticed a strong correlation between being present in an active body of believers and actually spending time in the Word of God, which I thought was unique. I thought that was interesting, something that I really want to dig deeper into. And then, uh, admittedly, this was one of the more startling statistics that I found. And when you're looking up statistics for these things, they, they, wild, they vary wildly. But the, the, the most startling statistic here that, that I found was that the average time spent in prayer daily across the board from those that identify as Christians, when you take the, the average, is 48 seconds. Which, I don't know how exactly they quantify that. Um, I didn't do a deep dive into this. But I do know that there is a lack of prayer amongst the people of God. And I think too often we play the comparison game where we look to Susie down the street or we look, to, uh, we look to Bob in church and say, you know what, I'm doing better than they are, so I must be good. And when, you know what, we might think here, you know, we're, we're in a Pentecostal assembly of God church and we believe in prayer and we believe in missions and, and, and you know, we believe in the scripture and I go to Deeper Project and so I'm doing better than most. But the, the problem with that line of thinking the, and the problem with, 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 that, uh, with that kind of thought process is that we're no longer comparing ourselves to Jesus. We're comparing ourselves to somebody else that's flawed. Where, where Stephen was never supposed to be the mark or the measurement for me to compare my life to. Billy Graham was never supposed to be the guy that I was supposed to compare my life to. And if I'm praying more than Billy Graham, I must be doing well. Jesus was and always will be the litmus test. That's why he says, uh, be holy like I am holy. That's why the invitation is to follow him. And I know on the day when I see Jesus face to face, I'm going to wish that I spent more time in prayer. I'm going to regret that I didn't spend more time in the Word. I don't think I'm going to miss out on, oh man, did I catch up on that Netflix show? I don't think that's going to be the, 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 the thought process that goes through my head. But I do believe there are going to be plenty of people that are going to look back with regret and remorse with how they spent their time. Our goal over the next few weeks is to introduce specific, intentional spiritual practices, what we've been calling spiritual disciplines. Things like reading the Bible, things like prayer, not just telling you, hey, you need to pray more. Great, we know that. We want to do that. How do I do that when I'm a mom and I have kids running around? How do I do that when I work from home and, and, and it's just difficult? How do, how do I make time for reading the Bible when I don't understand it? How do I implement these things practically into my life to where it makes a considerable change in how my relationship with the Lord looks? Because there are practical things that we can do to implement that I believe are helpful. And I'm really excited to unpack those. I'm really excited to unpack uh, simple strategies that I hope will help you when it comes to reading the scriptures. 
I'm really excited to, to look at what it looks like to, to get alone with God in silence and in solitude. What does it look like to meditate on the scriptures? What does it look like to spend time in prayer? These things that we know are good, these things that we know are beneficial, but sometimes it's difficult for us to implement them consistently. And so my hope is as we continue on this road is that we would do so with a collective mindset that we're going to do this together as a body and as a family that we might look more like Jesus. Because I'm interested here not in having the biggest church in town or having the, the, the most hopping place to be. I want 50, 60, 70 years from now for us to still be loving Jesus, for us to still be fighting the good fight of faith, not abandoning or jumping ship because it got difficult or hard. I've said this multiple times, and I want to kind of conclude with this, but spiritual maturity is best defined by consistently practicing the elementary aspects of faith. These simple disciplines, if we can put them into practice consistently, that is what defines spiritual maturity. It's not if you raise the dead or you led a crusade or, or you perform some kind of miracle or you spoke in tongues. Spiritual maturity, I believe the best measurement for that, are you consistently in the word? Are you consistently in prayer? Are you consistently living out these spiritual disciplines. And my goal, I believe my responsibility as a pastor is to help you as the body and the bride of Christ to become spiritually mature to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, and this is what I'm going to leave us with. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. He says that Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we would look and be like Jesus, that we should no longer be like children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. This isn't a message targeted at us, and this is an introduction to a message, but this teaching that we're about to, to uncover and unpack isn't coming from a place where, man, get your act together, church. Let's do this thing. This is coming from a genuine desire for me in uh, conversations that I've had with the Lord of, I want to be more disciplined in these areas. I want to practice these things better than I am right now because I want to look more like Jesus and I want to be more like Jesus because he's worthy and he's deserving and there's a world out there watching and they've been examining us for a long time and they have found us wanting. We are living at such a time in history that we cannot afford to represent Jesus in name, but not in action. And so I'm hoping, friends, you like me, regardless of if you've been following Jesus for decades now or if you're relatively new to following Jesus, that you would take honest assessment of what your relationship looks like right now. Think about spiritual discipline. Think about prayer. Think about fasting. Think about giving. Think about uh, the time that you spend studying the word of God. Think about these things. Develop a, let the Holy Spirit develop some sort of a, a health report or a report card 
on what your spiritual life looks like. And don't be discouraged by that fact. Don't be like, man, I just am terrible. (laughs) But I want the Holy Spirit to do a work in you that as we come together, as we approach each one of these different spiritual disciplines, that we would make a conscious decision to intentionally implement them on a consistent basis in our lives. Because can I tell you, if there is a group of people consistently in prayer, consistently in the word, consistently fasting, consistently giving, consistently following Jesus as best they can, that will be a force that will be unstoppable. And frankly, I'm just tired of church being normal, boring. (laughs) I don't think our church is, but I think there is a generation of people I think there is an entire culture out there that isn't impressed by Jesus and the church anymore because they've not seen it fleshed out in everyday life with any sort of consistency. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 16 years old. I was 15. I was about to turn 16. I gave my life to the Lord. Because I saw and experienced a group of Christians that were consistent in what they said they believed and what they lived out. And it completely changed my life. And I'm forever indebted to those few Christians. And there, there was plenty in that whole, that whole group. There are plenty that aren't serving Jesus today and that weren't good representations of the Lord even back then. But there was a handful. There's one guy in particular. His name was Anders, and I broke his nose, and he still cared enough to chase me down and love on me as a broken kid and model consistency. I only knew him for like three months, uh, but three months was a long enough time for me to see that, wow, there's something here, and I gave my life to the Lord. I just want to encourage you. It's worth it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.